right, welcome everyone. Bonjour tout le monde. Welcome to Eight Voices, where we'll hear from the finalists for the first Quebec Writers Federation Spoken Word Prize. So exciting. We are so pleased you could join us in person or online for this event. Just to situate you, we are streaming on YouTube live from Concordia University's fourth space, which is located on unceded indigenous lands in Chichaguay, Montreal. And as caretakers for the lands and waters we are meeting on, we are grateful to the Kanyankahaga Nation for their teachings about the earth and our relations. At Fourth Space, if you're new to the space, welcome once again. We collaborate with our university community to activate the various research projects and initiatives and development across the university by co-creating daily activities such as this one. So we're very pleased to collaborate with Quebec Writers Federation and Concordia Spoken Web Project for this event. And of course, Spoken Web Director, Poet, and your host today, Jason Camlot. Um, I think I'll pass the floor now to, to Riley to say a few words of welcome. Hi, Riley. So hi, everyone. Welcome to the inaugural version of the QWF Spoken Word Prize. We are very, very happy to present for the first time ever for QWF. So to give you a little bit of a history at the Quebec Writers Federation, we annually offer literary book awards. However, for this year, we decided to branch out more and our co one committee, you know, set up to create a new prize, which eventually becomes is now here, the spoken word prize. And we had in our first year, 26 entries, which is a good number for our first year competition. And today we are very, very proud to present the eighth finalist. So from this 26, we have whittled it down to eight, and these people are in the order that they are presenting today. Deborah Braid, Lucha De Luca, Caitlin Murphy, Raisa Simone, Johan Pelletier, Erin Moore, and Rowan Higgins. So before we would like to go on, I would like to thank, first of all, the committee that thought of this award, chaired by QWF Vice President Tanya Evanson. This committee also had Laurie Schubert, Elise Moser, and Julie Barlow. Um, the jurors for this prize are very, very esteemed spoken word artists in Canada. The jurors were Ivan Coyote, Kamala Mackerel, and Clifton Joseph. So before I pass on, I would have, a, I just have a few more thanks. I, you know, I'm, I'm obliged to give. I would like to thank, of course, our partners in this, in this endeavor, ALAC for hosting this wonderful book affair. We have Spoken Web and of course, Fourth Space. And we also have our funders that we would love to thank, the Government of Canada, SODEC, the Montreal Gazette, Penguin Random House of Canada, Babar Books, Baraka Books, Guernica Editions, Linda Leaf Publishing, Masonuf Magazine, McGill Queens University Press, Pau Pau Press, Universitas Press, Vehicle Press, as well as our bookseller partner, Paragraph. And if you want to know them, they're all outside. They're all selling books outside. So after this event, go and buy some books from them. So uh, just a few, I keep saying final words. I have a lot of final words. Um, the winners of this prize from this eight, three will win. And these three will be announced at the QWF Awards Gala on November 14 um, at 8 p.m. So if you would like to come and see, you know, what, what, what will happen, you know, with this competition, check us out. Go to our website, qwf.org, and you can buy a ticket. You, you can find it there from the website. Um, and finally, you know, 
I, we do have, I do have to address this, you know, and spoken word artists are, we're generally very competitive, aren't we? And, and that's, that's nice, that's lovely. And I think what, I, what really endears me to this community is that yes, it's competitive, but it's all about good fun as well, you know? Like, yes, you know, three people will eventually win, but we're not here because of that. We're here to celebrate the plurality of voices, the different people and the different types of poems that you will hear today. Not everyone will be up to your liking for sure, but. I'm sure you will leave today, you know, with a few treasured moments. And, and I promise this is the actual last thing. <laughs> this is the promise. Uh, this is the actual last thing. Um, I would like to read a few words by U.S. Poet Laureate Billy Collins. In recent decades, the phenomenon of the poetry reading has become as much a, cult a regular part of our cultural menu as the chamber music recital or the film festival. Readings are taking place at colleges and libraries, bars and coffee shops, bookstores, galleries, and at least one laundry shop that I've heard of. In Canada, it happens in weirder places, actually. It is likely that at this very minute, somewhere in the world, someone is standing behind a podium with a handful of poems, tentatively tapping a microphone with one finger, preparing to lift poetry off the page and into the air. What is the draw? Why insist on being in the presence of an author when we have already met them at their best? Why not submit to our print culture and stay home with a cup of tea or a few inches of whiskey and open a book? For one thing, the poetry reading offers a double connection, one with a poet who stands up from the page and delivers, and another with the audience, united by a common interest. Insofar as poems are composed by the ear, they are designed to be heard as well as read. To hear a poem is to experience its momentary escape from the prison cell of the page where silence is enforced to a freedom dependent only on the ability to open the mouth, that most democratic of instruments, and speak. Thank you very much. Enjoy the show. Let me pass you on now to our host for today, Jason Kamlat. Thank you so much, Riley, uh, for that great intro and for those words. And thank you, everyone, for being here for this very special event. First ever spoken word prize from the Quebec Writers Federation. So let's just hear about that for a second. Long time coming. Montreal has been a locus of spoken word performance for decades. Uh, really important place in North America for this. And I just want to mention, I want to pay tribute to a few of the series that have existed in Montreal that have featured spoken word, words and music, words off the page um, over the years, starting from around the 1980s. We can go back way further, but really I'm going to start with, um, and some of these are related to the book fair out there. Uh, the Ultimatum Festival, which was like a punk poetry festival that was held in Fufun Electric in the mid-1980s, organized by Alan Lord, who has a new memoir out uh, published by Guernica, and he'll tell you all the sort of details about running that series in his memoir. Um, we had the Enough Said series that was run by Lee Gotham out of Bistro Cat for many years. Um, and um, after that, there was Vox Hunt, Yop. Um, Ian Ferrier's Words and Music Show, which has been running for over 20 years and is still going. Um, uh, community, uh, throw 
Poetry Collective. There are a lot of organizations in the city, a lot of venues, a lot of amazing activity that's been happening here. Um, and this is kind of a formal recognition in a way of a very long history that our city uh, has had. Um, so um, I mentioned some of these series in part because I'm representing Spoken Web, which is a research project that has been working on finding audiovisual documentation of these series. So if people recorded them uh, and cataloging those collections and trying to make them uh, available publicly. Uh, so some of them, enough said, the Words and Music Show, we're in the process of cataloging and eventually, once we seek permissions, et cetera, we'll be making available to the public that you can actually listen to them and relive them. Um, but, uh, and also we are recording today's event and this, these performances will be made available for, uh, for future listeners. Um, so without further ado, I wanna get right into introducing each of the performers, um, how it's gonna work. So yes, often spoken word has been competitive, sometimes performed at slams where every performer is actually ranked with a number like an Olympic gymnast. We're not doing that here, although you can have those numbers in your head and you can share them with each other afterwards if you feel like it. Um, but we're going to celebrate uh, the diversity of performances. I, I had the opportunity to hear and watch all of the videos that were submitted and you're, up, you're in for a great treat. Uh, I'm going to offer a brief intro of each performer right before they get up on stage. I will mention that one performer, unfortunately, uh, Liana Cusmano, uh, came down with COVID, is not going to be able to perform in person, but we do have a video to share. Uh, so, so we'll get to hear Leanne. Uh, um, Liana, anyhow. Okay, so now we're gonna get started. Uh, our first performer is Deborah Braid, uh, who's an energy and development specialist, spoken word poet, World Economic Forum Global Shaper and British Devening alumna. Uh, an Abuja Literary Society Poetry Slam champion. So she knows a lot about competition and succeeding in it. She's performed for such organizations as the United States Embassy and VSO International. She is committed to sustainable develop, development and gender equity. Deborah Braid. Hi, everyone. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, good afternoon, everyone. I just want to say thank you to the organizers of this event and to the Quebec Writers Federation. I feel really honored and grateful to be able to share my poetry with you today. And I hope that you enjoyed the vulnerability of this piece. It's titled, I Was Always Here. So do you know? about the 10,220 days I spent waiting for you to notice that I am more than your first mistake, the extension of every wine you ever sipped flowing through my veins. I am a part of every tear you cried. My eyes squint like yours. My long fingers pay tribute to every caress on your piano that led to melodies of me. Similar rhythms that emanate from the frequent trips my mind takes, I wonder, I wonder, just if my neurons spasm the way yours used to when you were that child prodigy. My thoughts are often bigger than what my brain cells can process, and sometimes I need you to tell me that's beautiful. 
that my wanderings and my wanderings aren't just empty escapes, but are gardens of promise from which I will bloom. Sometimes I need you to tell me that I can take root in you. That I will not be stunted at the sweet spot between being your disappointment and blessing, that you have room enough for me to grow. Beyond where loving me has made you a prisoner of expectation, struggling to get this prison break from these mad men who think you're supposed to be some kind of family guy. But they don't know that this kind of love does not suit you because you're so used to running from arrows shot at you by those who are supposed to be your true blood. Carrying around royal pains as a man whose first king dethroned himself, abdicated the throne of his life as you abdicate mine. So do you know about the 7,320 days I spent waiting for you to tell me that I am not just an inconvenient ink blot on a page of your life, blurring lines, making it so hard to keep that page straight so you scrunch it and trash it to forget that this mirror image of you is still somewhere out there, a million miles away even when you stand in front of me. Is it just impossible for you to go the distance for me? I don't need grenade explosions with energy that never dies. I just need to know that when I was first conceived, your reaction wasn't, this bitch gonna kill my vibe. So answer me. Do you know about the 5,856 days I spent waiting for you to see me, to love me, like the maiden edition of my true love? Without numbed arteries and glassy eyes, with the freedom with which you love your baby boy, like he was the answer to every prayer I changed for you. Father, please can't you see that I too am a heaven-sent replay of you. Now this may be a long shot, but if you ever do answer, this is what I will tell you. Thank your stars I had a mother like mine who was every birthday present you never sent. And if you ever reflect on the things you got wrong, at least you got one right when you picked my mom. Thank you. Deborah Braid. The mic is on. Yes. All right. We'll 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 have a note. I I heard you fine, Deborah. But some people may not hear you completely if you don't go a little bit closer to the mic. So we're gonna make a note of that for for everyone else. Good point. Using the mic is a very important part of spoken word uh, performance in a venue that's using a loudspeaker. So it's very important. Before I introduce each speaker, I'm just gonna add a little note of tribute or a little tidbit about spoken word in Montreal, just sort of continue what I was saying before. So for those of you who are interested in learning more about the spoken word scene over the last couple of decades, there was a book published in the 90s called Impure, 
um, edited by Victoria Stanton and Vince Tingley, and it's an oral history of the spoken word scene in Montreal. Uh, it was published by Conundrum Press, so check it out. Our next performer is going to be Lucia De Luca. Uh, Lucia De Luca is an English teacher and spoken word poet. She was a finalist at the 2021 Canadian Individual Poetry Slam and recently participated in Brickyard Spoken Words Mentorship Program. As an organizer, she brought McGill University its first slam and in the summer of 2022, oversaw the Grove Campus Poetry Show. Lucia. Hi everyone, I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm gonna perform a poem called Stalling. 223,478 kilometers. The last day of first grade. Our maroon minivan doesn't stall, doesn't screech for a fix. Like she doesn't know that her engine is graying, that her shock frame doesn't soften any blows or that she is doubling as a glass case for our family of four for the final time. When we reach the Ilboro Honda dealership, my eyes spill the guilt of giving up the closest thing we know to a family pet. Her back door, warm with the problems of her last family, still hesitates in its track before letting out my sister and I. Zero kilometers. Our new Honda Accord stands at the top of a staircase in a ball gown, already living a Cinderella story, with AC, a sunroof, and a tiara of untouched charcoal paint. She is... Princeton girl to our minivan's diner girl energy. Still, I don't trust her to take us home. She's never done it before. 71,763 kilometers. When my sister slides to the middle to make room for our new brother, I'm sure our car is the one to take him home. Like gimp bracelets, my parents' hands are a box knot between the front seats. Plastic threads loop together on cruise control, but forming corners at every layer. 92,159 kilometers. My sister listens to Marianas Trench on her MP3. My brother plays Fruit Ninja on my iPod. Dad grips the steering wheel. Hands in her lap, mom looks out the passenger window. Plastic turns to tangled vines squirming in opposite directions. 114,361 kilometers. Her elbows scraped from bike handles and knees from shopping carts. Dad kicks back in the passenger seat. Even as I get too close to a pole or merge awkwardly or count to three at a stop sign while the car behind us grows impatient, 135,765 kilometers. 11th grade. Dad picks me up early from school. The snow holds off. I don't know the town where I take my driving test. There are too many one-way streets. The Accord and me pass, but dad drives us home to spaces we cannot reverse out of an already failed test. 144,322 kilometers. Can I drive her? I'm taking her to work. Can I drive her? It's icy. Can I drive her? Okay, be safe. 165,697 kilometers. With dry vines and nuisance beneath my parents' feet, our family car outlives our family. The accord becomes a detour in mediation. Who owns her? 
What's she worth? Less financially destructive to give her to me than pay lawyers to decide. Dad teaches me to pop her hood and replace her leaky fluid. I buy her for a dollar. 171,318 kilometers. When we're cold, we run late. We need our windows scraped from the inside too. In drive, we harmonize as we belt hello. She's the only device I have left that plays CDs and she does it well, storing six at a time. In leaving, she makes me lock each of her doors manually, two kisses on each cheek before jogging into work. I name her Lucia Junior. 173,499 kilometers. Almost upgrade to a Mazda 3. Almost let someone else decide whether to euthanize her or sell her to a new family. 175,811 kilometers. Lucia Jr. punishes me for my betrayal. Her steering announces retirement. Her muffler screams for mercy. She stalls on an incline at a busy intersection while a long line of traffic swears and honks every time she breaks. I take responsibility for her stitches. Fixing her is my version of stalling, is tree pose without conscious breath, hoards what my family used to look like by keeping just the box. She is clutter not time capsule. I need to villainize her or I won't give her up. 187,013 kilometers. Upon inspection, my mechanic tells me there are seven new things wrong with Lucia Jr. A few days later, I scratch her right side against a yellow pole in the parking garage of the building she moved me into. More yellow than charcoal, the trim comes off her back door. I keep it in the trunk of my new car. Thank you, Lucia DeLuca. Um, so I mentioned earlier um, a community series. Uh, it was a, it's a venue where a lot of poets and artists have performed with music and spoken word. Uh, Kai Kello uh, did a lot of performance there early on and sort of found his voice, one could say, there, along within the words of music show. And I mentioned the Throw Poetry Collective. It just so happens that Dina Smith is here today. And there's a, a slam happening um, on Saturday. So we have all the information about that. Uh, it's happening at Le Basement on Notre Dame. And we have uh, flyers about that. So we'll pass those out if you're interested um, a little bit later on. But right now. We're going to hear from Caitlin Murphy, who is a writer, director, and dramaturg. Uh, she's performed in one-woman shows, stand-up, sketch comedy, and web series, uh, a web series she's created called Mother's Try. Caitlin's also written and directed plays and short films and recently launched a digital collection website of her pandemic-related art, Candy for COVID. Uh, please welcome Caitlin Murphy. I cannot make another cup of tea. I can't. I just can't. You see, there's the lifting of the kettle from its base and the walking of the kettle to the sink, followed by the perching of the kettle on the edge of the sink with one hand and the turning on of the faucet with the other. And then there's the lifting of the lid to the kettle, which 
always, I'm sorry, which always seems a little more elusive than it need be, this button. And I'm never quite sure at the top of the handle that I'm never quite sure, even after all this time, not sure how to maneuver, like really? It eventually works out. But then there's the placing of the kettle under the faucet and the filling of the kettle with water up to at least the minimum line which is the line on the kettle which marks the minimum amount of water you must fill the kettle with in order to be able to boil said water. The minimum line. You must wait until the watt patience. You must be sure to reach its getting there. You must somehow find it within yourself because if you do not reach the minimum line, if you do not fill the kettle with the minimum amount of water, well, I just don't know. But once the minimum line has been reached, or ideally crossed, we're all trying to play it safe these days after all. There's a turning off of the faucet and the closing of the kettle's lid. All of this in time to begin the journey of getting the kettle back to its base. Once the kettle is settled back into its original position, you flick the switch. The one at the bottom this time. You just flick it down, just like that. You just flick it down. This is my favorite part, actually. You just flick it down and it glows orange. And it feels really good because something you touched actually changed. You feel something like triumph, but you should not because now there is the opening of the cupboard and the choosing of the cup. When you hate all of your cups, when you hate your cups equally, but for different reasons, there's the one with the chip, the one that was his, the one that gets too hot around its golden rim the one that's too small, the one with the handle that feels dumb to hold. Okay, find that one. Picking the tea is less of a quandary these days, ever since you gave up on the illusion of choice. It happened on one very specific day during which wave, which lockdown, who can say, but I remember standing in the grocery store aisle, scanning the boxes of tea for miles and realizing suddenly there aren't actually that many different kinds of tea. Not really. Not when you look closely, not ones you'd actually want to drink. And I honestly thought there were more. I did. Like a lot more. I could have sworn there were at least two times as many kinds of tea, maybe three or four. And I wondered that day, during which wave, which lockdown, who can say, why aren't tea makers working on this? Like given the state of things, why isn't anyone seemingly doing anything to ameliorate the selection of tea? Is nobody out in the world imagining me in my kitchen? Meanwhile, the water has started to lightly murmur that it's working on your request. You take the who cares what kind of tea tea bag out of its envelope and put it in the hated because it feels dumb to hold cup, being sure to carefully dangle the string with the tag down the side of the cup to avoid that oh-so-sad fiasco which I need not name. The water in the kettle is coming to greater life now. Light murmurs give way to mild rumblings which surrender to wild agitations and thus it begins the seemingly endless ascent to boiling point peak and that terrible familiar feeling descends, the rotten torture of the always almost, the overdose and the oh so close and the just hang on and the won't be long when you honestly don't know how much more of this you can take. How much of this clenched and constant climbing can anyone be expected to bear? And isn't really fucking hot water close enough to boiling anyway? Does it have to be boiling per se? You dare yourself to do it, just do it, just flick it, flick the switch, flick the switch, back up and abort this miserable mission called quits on this excruciating climb. Just like you give up on orgasms sometimes with that messed up mix of resignation and relief. Just end the ever leaning, wretched, reaching, reaching, reaching. And then there it is. 
The flick back up of the switch on its own and the orange glow goes cold. The water has boiled. Somehow you held on, like you do every time. Like you fill the kettle to the minimum line. You pour the water into the cup, drowning the tea bag, which of course drags down with it the string and the tag, which you'll fish out with a fork once you finish this sigh. Now, maybe you don't drink tea, in which case this has all just been a cautionary tale. Or maybe your kettle is different than mine, or situated at a greater or lesser distance from the sink, in which case this has all maybe felt a little irrelevant. But for some reason, I just really needed you to know that I simply cannot make another cup of tea. And there's nothing simple about it. Thank you. All right, let's hear it again for Caitlin Murphy. Yeah. Well, after this event is done and you head to the merch table and buy some merch of some of our performers and then go check out the books at the book fair, you might be welcomed by uh, someone named Billy Mavreus. Some of you may know Billy, some of you may not, but Billy has a very important connection to the spoken word history of Montreal. He probably, he's made hundreds and hundreds of posters for spoken word events over the years for many different series that I've already mentioned, like Enough Said and Yop and Fox Hunt and all of these others. So if you're going into the book fair afterwards, uh, look for a guy with a beard and ask him if, are you Billy Mavreus? And then uh, he can tell you some stories about spoken word in Montreal, especially about postering. Our next performer is going to be Reza Simone. Uh, who's a multidisciplinary artist and writer based in Jojage, Montreal. She's competed at numerous national poetry slams and has been invited to perform at multiple spoken word shows, including the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word, Toronto International Poetry Slam, Hillside Festival, and When Sisters Speak. Raisa Simone. The echidna is the only mammal that can survive a wildfire while in Torpur. The echidna can live without sustenance and emerge after the environmental threat has passed, malnourished, but alive. He will carve you a wooden cutout of your old cat and your snake named Buster. He will take you to an Indian restaurant and say that he sees years of summer in your spine and a bathtub of tea in your toe steps, and he is as red as those men who came before him who were roses and exploded to the point of music. Red as men who stitch wood to skin and red as men who bullet flesh to promise, and he is as red as those men who split your teeth open. He is as red as the men who purpled your skin. And so when he calls you screaming, you don't hang up the phone. The echidna hums in reassuring tones and its stomach nests nutrients in preparation for natural disaster. The echidna's adaptive insides quiet, the brain's reaching for food, for water, for touch, for tender. The echidna 
has lived in this forest for a very, very, very long time. And then the sky watches the echidna and says, men who set themselves on fire cannot keep you warm. He may look like the sun. But wolves have always conned sheep with copped clothing, and you know this. You don't have to eat dust to inhabit this earth. And if he needs to hunt something, let him be both the spider and the fly, and you are the sky, and your fidelity is only to the sparrows, and tell him, you can only love the sky by letting it be blue, by letting it rise to crescent and sigh a morning to the planet. But he tried to catch the sky at a butterfly net, as if by setting enough fires a tree would snap, an oaken tenderness smoke from her trunk. So boy, don't ask for her hand, unless you can match its lines to the mountains. And then a grasshopper laughs and says, you self-harm by falling in love with men who spit on women for parting our lips. What if you stopped splitting limbs off your body so better to reach everybody? Don't you know that a quilt is knitted to be touched whole? Why do you rip leaf blades off your branches for men who would not place their palms to your bark? And I say, well, the saddest thing is that the sky cannot see herself. Now, isn't that terrible? And then the sky turns to the fire and says, do you know how lonely it is to be made out of everything? To know that everyone who looks at you can only see one one thousandth of your body in the sky says, I am sorry. I'm sorry that when you reached for my hands, they were just rain. And that I could never keep track of time because I spend my days pacing the sun. I'm sorry that I'm only red in October and can only cradle a wildfire from miles, and I'm really only good for staying. When dying men set their eyes to me to pray, and he looks away and he says, should we call it off? And the sky says, I guess I'm just not very good at being a girlfriend. Teresa Simone, thank you very much. Who publishes spoken word in Montreal? I mean, what does publishing spoken word mean, right? Because it's, it's off the page. It's not putting it into print, right? Well, um, back in the 90s, Fortner Anderson, Ian Ferrier got together and started a spoken word press, let's say, releasing CDs and often in collaboration with Conundrum Press books with CDs uh, of spoken word performers like Fortner Anderson, uh, Kai Kello, uh, Catherine Kidd, people that you that have really sort of made names for themselves in the spoken word scene here. So this is before YouTube. Now YouTube is one of the major publishers of spoken word, I'd say. But um, there are probably other, other publishers of records and uh, CDs of spoken word from Montreal. But uh, Wired on Words Productions uh, is the one that you'd want to Google if you want to find some of the, the early productions from the 90s and early 2000s. Johan Pelletier is a storyteller with work featured in Canada and the U.S. She's the winner of the Grit 99 Second Story Grand Slam, the producer of 
good good gin bad gin good guy and bad guy that sounds better good guy and bad guy and women's health stories and an amateur boxing judge she teaches storytelling to scientists and to startups johan pelletier Thank you, Jason, and, and thank you all for spending time with us this afternoon. I am a storyteller. It's a kind of spoken word. And a lot of my work is between five and 10 minutes, but today I'm doing two short pieces, one 99 seconds, one two minutes, both the winners of Story Slams in the US. Here goes. This is not my first time in a boxing ring, but here in Brooklyn, the stakes are high because my opponent is the champ, the women's heavyweight champion. And we're just sparring. That's a practice fight, but everyone in the gym gathers around the ring. She's the draw, not me. I started fighting in my 40s. The thing is, I love the strategy of it, but I'm never going to be a champ, but I want to practice like one. I get a few lucky punches in early and the crowd cheers, but it's short-lived because when the champ hits me, I feel her power and I back off. And after a while, she pushes her weight into me. She pins me against the ropes and I feel her breath in my ear. She says, you keep dropping your left hand. I'm going to hit you even harder. Focus. You know better. She's teaching me. I survived three rounds. I have a bloody nose and a black eye on the way. I did okay. She didn't break a sweat. I go sit ringside. I love being right here. The champ comes over, hands me an ice pack. Here, that's going to swell. You need to focus. You need to practice. Same time tomorrow, right? Yeah. Yeah. See you tomorrow. Yeah, hot yoga's happened to me. Yeah, I'm breathing deeply, I'm, I'm bendy and flexy, I'm totally zen, I even have the right pants. And it's going really great, except, well, I'm distracted often in class by the sight of a very large cockroach moving across the floor. And I'm bug phobic, and yeah, I'm deep breathing, but it's not helping because it's messing with my zen. And now I'm overthinking everything. Like, how come no one else in this class notices this massive, slow-moving bug? Is it the same cockroach each class? Is it some kind of Zen roach master? Nobody told me. More serious, though, I know logically that roach ain't alone. I speak to the owner like, hey. <laughs> and she says, yeah, yeah, they're working on the problem, sure. Yeah, no, I, I offered to kill the roach. It's slow moving. I can work the hit into a yoga pose, subtle but effective. Slow moving roach, advantage me, bendy and flexible. She says, please, no, don't. That would send the wrong message. It's no use. It's my Zen or that roach. We can't coexist. It's decided, it's done, it's destiny, an epic yogic duel. That night in class, the roach approaches my mat. And while in downward dog, I reach for my yoga block. And I slam down, timed with the next pose, I jump forward, disguising the thud that kills that bug. I leave the yoga block up, 
displaying the carcass of the dead roach? Yeah, I'm sending a message. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. Um, where has spoken word taken place in Montreal? What are some of the main venues? I already mentioned Bistro Cats was one of them. Blizzards in the 90s, basically half the city was available for use for artistic purposes because it was vacant. So a lot of warehouses, uh, places like that. Um, more recently, um, Casa del Popolo has been a very important venue. I just want to mention during COVID, we lost some important venues like La Vitrola. Uh, La Salarosa has been uh, an important place for a spoken word performance. Um, I want, I'd, I'd like to invite you to listen to a podcast that I made about doing 16 words and music shows online during the pandemic uh, when we didn't have access to any venues. Um, so just go to Spoken Web Podcast, Google that, and look for the episode called The Show Goes On. Erin Moray has been an amazing reader of poetry in the city for a very long time. She's a poet and poetry translator. Her most recent work includes Chaspato's The Face of the Quartzes, Delice, 2021, and her own chapbooks, Retooling for a Figurative Life with Valum, published in 2021, and Aborescence, uh, Columba, 2022. Her translation of Chantal Neveu's This Radiant Life, published with Bookhug, 2020 won the 2021 Governor General's Award for Translation. Please welcome Aaron Moray. Hi, everyone. I'm very honored to be part of this event and uh, here with these marvelous performers. Um, I've, I've learned a lot over the years from, from spoken word. And it's one of the things that has helped me incorporate better things into, into my own work and into my performance. I'm going to read um, just a short excerpt from Capusta. It's a book came out a few years ago. It's um, a book of poems in the form of a play. It's um, a, it, what I call a distributed monologue. Uh, so it doesn't really matter who is talking. If I tell you who is talking, there's a character, MD. Malenka Dochka means uh, little daughter. And uh, basically, the text, the text in this book is both in English and in French, but I'm going to mostly read uh, it in English. Um, but I'll start in French, and basically, the, the voice at first is asking if Malenka Dochka feels anguish. But Malenka Dochka doesn't feel anything because she's a sock monkey um, made out of a gray winter sock. And so, properly speaking, Malenka Dochka can't speak. MD ressent-elle de l'angoisse? Non. MD ne ressent précisément à rien. MD est une poupée singe faite d'une chaussette d'hiver crise. MD a proprement parlé, ne parle pas. La poésie est la sensation d'un état de langage qui racle la gorge. country of beautiful forests and drunken boys. The Ukrainian poet, not drunk, read a beautiful poem, almost chanted it in the metal ring or outcry of church bells, but with something strange in it. So the American heard it. Later, I saw it in reading 
Did I get on the wrong train? I worked on trains. I'm terrified of them. Hundreds of thousands were deported on trains. Millions deported on trains. France was deported on a train. Hungary, on a train. Ukraine, no. Only part of Ukraine was deported on a train. Ukraine that was not. Ukraine that was forced to be Poland. We, today we sit in our sushi restaurants and we grieve. We sing our ashes. We wear these strips of cloth we call our clothes. Incense or metonymy. Shade solemnal. Abscess in the mouth. Sewer grate. I am so terrified. When they crowded people like that into the rail cars, they'd already lost their names. Chalked numbers. Calcified origins. They didn't even count them. They stuffed them into the cars, and Germans just guessed at their numbers. Even the chalk numbers on the wagons had nothing to do with human beings. I beg of you. I went deaf in the ears. Box sandwich, ramen, coulis de tomate. I went gray at the temples, gray at the throat, solitude of the stars. You think you are with someone, but fundamentally, you are alone. Piss by, piss dry basin of regret. Try again. Salute an onion. Make yourself rich in a jar. Tryptophan in the north. Hello, kitty knew me too. Cough, sputter, silence, brigade of eaters. I have a disease caused by chemicals in the voice. I ate diseased vegetables and cattle. I was no worse off. They tried to serve me orange juice, which made me sicker. Up one side and down another. Try again. The leaves were too big. They were gorged with water. I was attacked. I smoked. I did not dare return to the building, so I had no jacket. I plunged into the woods. I boiled chestnuts and ate even the skin. I was sick on plants. I cried. I threw up. I danced with the others, following the strange movements of their limbs in the hills, mimicking so they would not betray me. I was unable to say how long I had been in the forest without water. I ate the leaves. Skin came off my fingers. I fell in love with a girl, and I was a girl. In the dark, I sobbed. In the day I carpet-bombed life with my demons, I, no one could see me. I could switch. My bones hurt. The tumors had come back. I threw them up in the toilet. I was still on the train. I was never on a train. That train had no toilet. We moved into the water. We moved into the air as ashes of our houses. The ones with insignia on their caps burned our skins off. The ones in the caps fought tyranny in the only way they knew how. Burn even the trees. I crouched in the field. I was eight years old. I was two. My sister strangled me to stop me from crying. And now she is alive and I am dead. And there is no one to hear me. After the Jews had gone into the trains or into the forest, it was we who were sought out because of a name, the sound of a name, because of an H in the word name. Because of a word for food. Malenka Dotchka, where are you? Speak! Thanks so much. Let's hear, let's hear it again for Aaron Moray. Thank you, Aaron. So where do you find out about where shows are happening in the city? Where do you go? Used to be uh, the Montreal Mirror would have listings. You know, 
it's not too useful any longer. Well, there is a site called Where Poets Read, which uh, works very hard. It's my colleague and friend, Catherine McLeod, who's been doing that for many years now, uh, trying to find everything that's going on and listing it there for you. So I encourage you to check out Where Poets Read. Catherine just gave birth to a baby on November 1st, um, little Clara, but she assures me she's still populating Where Poets Read with the latest events. So you'll find information there. Rowan Blue Riva Higgins is an award-winning spoken word poet, educator, speaker, and creative evangelist. As the founder of the Elevated Creative, her mission is to elevate others through creative literacy and help them find their flow and tap into their genius zone. Rowan Higgins. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? He's like, thank you. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I just want to thank QWF for creating spaces for creatives where we can write our rights, if you will. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Y'all feeling comfortable? Y'all feeling good? They're like, yeah, let's just get this over. Just hurry up. <laughs> Her bare feet hit the pavement as she holds her toddler and is running with an infant. Their nose and eyes running quicker than their feet. Well, actually, their feet were barely touching the concrete of the jungle we call New York City. She's already left Jamaica. She's already left Montreal. And staying with family is good until she gets attacked, attacked by her mind. Yes, coming from a womb of a shattered woman's mind, here I stand. I pray for an intervention so divine when I heard you robbed of your conscious, your intelligent mind, uttering words that appear to have no comprehensive meaning but to open doors. You're just expressing your mixed feelings. Hearing voices when no one has even spoken in your head, provoking, choking, stopping you from breathing, no escaping. Can't close the doors for one quiet moment because verbal attacks keep coming back like a rejected token. I see you on bended knees asking for atonement, thinking you've done wrong. Send us to this cruel punishment, trapped in your own mind like a detained in detention. Breaking out just became your main intention. Redemption. I've come to the realization you're a beautiful person with a purpose. Your talents are so profuse, you're stumbling over your confusion. Which the devil left behind after drew an intrusion? Heavenly Father, please provide a resolution. I pray this uninvited guest will leave when the sun sets and when it rises over your horizon, you be blessed and darkness ceases to exist. Evil under arrest, lift your head up, let him heal his child with a kiss. How many of us have taken a time out to listen to a soul who's been trapped between the walls of depression? How many of us reach out with compassion and realize shades of madness as camouflage intelligence? How many of us has been told to go for a psychological assessment because we do not conform to the norms of society? Well, baby love, I overstood your madness when I heard you in a corner crying, singing. This is insanity, living with split personality, crazy, seeing everybody so shady. How come everyone is ignoring me? Is this a conspiracy? Free, free your mind. 
Free your mind, free your mind, free, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind. I pray this and invite, I guess we'll leave when the sun sets and when it rises over your horizon, you'll be blessed. Darkness ceases to exist, evil under arrest. Lift your head up, let him heal you with a kiss. To my mother, Casilda Rose, to my sister, Tamara Higgins, and the countless individuals who are struggling every day with mental health issues. Free your mind. Thank you. Thanks so much, everyone. Rowan Higgins, amazing piece. Thank you very much. Um, it occurs to me that I skipped over the video that we were going to watch. And so we're going to end the show uh, with one last performance. Sorry. Um, by Liana Cusimano, who can't be here because um, she has come down with COVID. So Liana Cusmano, uh, also known as Luca by Curious George, is a writer, poet, spoken word artist, and filmmaker. They were the 2018 and 2019 Montreal Slam champion and runner-up in the 2019 Canadian Individual Poetry Slam Championship. Their first novel, Catch and Release 2022, was published by Guernica Editions. So... Uh, for those of you who are here in person, you may look on the little screens, or if you want to crane your neck and look behind, you'll have a view of a larger performance uh, once they get the video set up. We're good to go. All right. Roll it. You are 19 years old and tutoring part-time at a learning center. And you cut your hair short when you were on student exchange last spring and your greatest fear right now is that one of the kids you work with will ask you a question that you won't know the answer to. The concept of being not a boy or a girl, but both and neither, never and all the time, seems too complicated a response to the grade school kinds of questions these kids usually ask you. Questions that have nothing to do with math or English or science. Questions like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite sea creature? How many books have you read? How many presents did you get for your ninth birthday? Did you vote for the conservatories in the North American election? <laughs> These questions are all part of the consummate constellation of dreams and dreads and desires that all run riot inside your head, hopscotching alongside the certainty that someday you will be loaded with debt and dependence and probably even more disorders than you already have. One thing you're sure of is the shame that you feel at the back of your throat when you think about how comfortable you have felt in every men's section of every clothing store you've ever been in. You have realized how ironically natural it feels to extend your lashes and color your eyelids as though you were an imposter who felt totally at home in the arbitrary disguise that they were born into.
The first time you try on a chess binder, it feels like someone is holding you very tightly with no intention of letting you go. So you buy it, but it'll be months before you find the courage to wear that feeling in public. You love to wear high heels because it feels so good to be a few more inches above everyone else and all their bullshit, and you wish you could wear them all the time. You are still preoccupied with the time someone called you jeune homme, young man, and you realize their mistake, but only because you're not sure that that's actually what it was. Breaking out of the boxes you were assigned before birth has left you liberated, but also unmoored, like a kid home alone for the first time, like a child finally on a big kid bicycle, with no training wheels and no rules, independent and alone. You will have to decide how to answer all the questions coming at you like dodgeballs from other people, but also from yourself. Questions about bathrooms and changing rooms, about the way you dress and walk and speak, about how you use a razor, how you cross your legs. Questions about how you will relate to other people and about how you will react to how they will react to what you do and think and say in this body that you have realized is yours to inhabit however you want. And finally, one of the kids at the learning center pops the question, this little girl dressed all in pink who loves gym class, and she says, are you a boy or a girl? You seem like both. And at first you think that that last part wasn't technically a question, so you don't really have to answer that. But then another kid who has trouble with science and who never stops talking steps in and he says, Jessica, how could you be so rude? That is none of your business. Also, how many pieces of Lego do you think there are in the entire world? And for a second, you can see yourself in both of them because all three of you are just kids and suddenly you feel no shame at the back of your throat. And one thing you're sure of is that maybe there are some questions you will never know the answers to and that that's okay. You are 19 years old. Oh, we're gonna... <laughs> all right. Let's hear it again for Leanne Cusimano. Can't be here. Maybe watching on, online. So it's really, it's really uh, important, special for me to be hosting this event in the university where I teach in an English department. Um, we teach poetry in the English department. Uh, spoken word isn't often taught in English departments. It's kind of interesting to think about why. One of the reasons is it's difficult because um, you can't buy books and just have everyone, you know, order it through the bookstore. So I think it's almost fitting that we ended with a video where we heard an audience responding and we were an audience responding. Uh, there's a sort of secondary uh, sense or feeling to watching a performance that's recorded. But that is one of the ways we're able to bring it into the classroom and talk about it and think about it. Um, but I think it's more than just the difficulty of the medium, you know, that it's a very sort of present-oriented, event-oriented kind of performance. Um, it has to do with all other kinds of cultural values around certain modes of, of communication and articulation. Um, the fourth space has been designed as a space to break down, in a sense, the fourth wall, uh, to break down the wall between the university and, um, and the rest of the world. And one important thing, Riley sort of opened by noting how competitive spoken word can be. Um, another, I think, definitive aspect of spoken word that is very strongly about the communities that develop around uh, these performances, because so many of the performances are about individual uh, problems, you know, individual struggles, uh, individual development, and really finding ways to articulate that and share that with community. Um, so. Uh, let's let's just sort of give a big hand to all eight of the finalists for this year's award.
A great thanks to the Quebec Writers Federation once again for launching this prize. It's an amazing thing. Um, um, I represent Spoken Web, another sponsor of this event. Thank you, Fourth Space, and all the amazing people here for making this run so smoothly. Uh, so at this point, I would like to invite you all to check out some of the books and materials that are available. Uh, Alexandra Swenny is there to uh, sell them to you if you're interested. Talk to some of the performers, you know, um, give them hugs because we're here in person. Tell them how great they are. And stay tuned for the Spoken Web Gala, which is on November, what's the date, Riley? Do you remember offhand? November the 14th, um, where the uh, three winners out of these eight finalists will be announced. Thank you very much, everyone, for coming. If you have an idea for a podcast, please let us know. You can contact us by email at info.4 at concordia.ca or find us on social media at CU Fourth Space. We'd love to hear from you. The Fourth Space podcast is hosted by me, Douglas Moffat, and produced with Anna Vaclavec. Editing by Chanel Lees Marshall and Maximus Delmar. And our theme music, courtesy of Supercarmen. Thanks for listening.